Good morning, Foothill Church. Today's scripture is found in Exodus 18. Please stand for the word of the Lord. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all of that, I'm sorry, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that they'd come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the peoples as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is God's word. You may be seated. She's so cute. 
there's visitors here today going, that's weird. She's my wife, so I just need to, <laughs> it's like I need to clarify that. <laughs> oh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to ask if Brian and Steph Martinez will come, and they're bringing a little Molly, and uh, I think big brother Shep is coming along with them, and uh, hey, Shepard. Yeah, you can give my hand, of course. <clears throat> Brian is our youth pastor. We hired him because Steph is awesome. And, um, uh, and uh, Molly was born when? February 1st. Oh, good. Thank, I'm glad you could remember that, Brian. That's good. Good to remember your children's uh, birthdays. Uh, listen, I want to say this. Whenever we dedicate one of the pastor's kids, I, I just want to make sure you guys hear this. Like sometimes pastor's kids are putting under unreasonable uh, sort of expectations from people. <clears throat> Somehow they've got to be you know, uh, uh, better than just a normal Christian kid. And I, I just want to encourage us as a congregation, you've been so gracious to us. You've been gracious to my kids. <clears throat> you've been gracious to our staff kids. That we continue to do that. That we don't uh, burden uh, Shepherd and Molly with this idea that because they're the, pa- the, the children of, of pastor ministers that, that, that somehow they have to live up to something, you know, ridiculous. What they should be, we should expect them to be the children of Christian parents who love them and, uh, and walk uh, with them. And so I want to encourage you that as you, as you even interact with kids that are, that are our, our staff kids, that you'd love them just like you would love another kid and, and give them the same opportunities. Uh, but today we get this chance. And if you're new to this morning, uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus takes little children in his arms and he blesses them. And that's all we're trying to mimic here is just we want to present these kids to God and say, Lord, bless them and help them and help uh, Brian and Steph as, uh, as parents as well. So let's, uh, will she come to me, you think? Yeah. Hey, Molly. Hey, hi, hi there. That's awesome. There you go. There they are. Look, mom and dad are here. There's Shep. There they are. Mom's right here. You can come over here, Steph. I'd rather stand next to you anyways. So, so uh, we'll do this. Uh, reach out your hands. Brian talked about this last week, so he's going to make sure my hands stay up. <clears throat> Brian, my expectation is yours will be up the whole time. <clears throat> um, So let's pray for little Molly. Uh, Father, we love you and we do thank you. And I just want to pray your blessing upon Molly. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we pray for all of our children, that that she would grow up and she would never know a day of rebellion in her past, but she would follow you uh, all, all her days. I pray that you would save her at a young age. Uh, that she would come to saving faith in Jesus, that uh, Brian and Steph would model for her uh, what it looks like to have the gospel unlocked in their home, and that both she and Shep would be kids that would uh, just chase after you, Jesus. Uh, We we pray for for Brian, we we pray for Steph, we pray for Shep, Lord, as a family, as they come around, little Molly, Lord, bless Brian as a leader, bless Stephanie uh, as her mother, Lord, and that together she might see just a picture of God and the two of them together. Uh, We love you, Lord. We thank you. We we praise you for the time that we get to just uh, lift Molly before you and ask God that uh, that you would save her and that she would would walk with you. Um, And God, I also want to pray. I want to pray for those that that have lost children. I prayed for a couple this morning. Uh, I pray for those that want to have children but can't. God, draw near to them. Comfort them, I pray. And Lord, may they know that in the midst of this uh, time that God, you are going to walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death and through the valley of the shadow of the death of even expectations. Uh, God, you're good, you're gracious. And we just ask God to open the wombs of those who desire it and grant us the gift of children, we pray. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There you go. There you are. You guys, I'll give this to you.
There you go. Thanks, guys. Love you. Let's give him a hand. Uh, hey, real quick, next week, July 4th, we all know that, and uh, just want to announce to this service especially, we're going to have one service next week. It's going to be at 9 a.m., and it's the whole family, okay, one hour, 9 a.m., because we know that, that July 4th tends to be a family day. You want to get together, do your barbecues, all that, so we're just going to do one. We'll cram in here, and, uh, and, and then uh, you can bring all your kids, and it's going, to be an, it's going to be an awesome time. So come, plan to worship with us, 9 a.m. next week. And then let me just say thank you to those of you. Uh, the, how many of you ladies went to the women's gathering yesterday? Awesome. And uh, I'm so proud. I have to just have to tell you, as people kind of came back and I started hearing reports of how things went, it just well, it sounded amazing. And what makes me proud and what makes us proud as a staff is how many women we have that are capable teachers, that love the Word of God, that want to be obedient to the Word of God. And I just, I just want to say thank you to all of you that were involved in pulling that off. It sounded like it was a wonderful day of worship and, and just God-honoring time in the Word. And so praise God uh, for that. Exodus chapter 18. So uh, a couple weeks ago, Lucas and Sue Parks and Michelle and I were in Colorado. So to fly to Colorado, of course, you have to cross over the mountains and, and uh, you cross what's called the Great Divide. I didn't know this. I should have known this, I guess. But the, great, the, the, the Continental Divide, or Great Divide as it's also called, uh, is really a place where it's not because there's just a spine of mountains that go through. It's, it's called the Continental Divide because it's, it's all about the watershed. On the western side of the watershed, it all drains towards the Pacific Ocean. On the eastern side, it drains towards the Atlantic Ocean. And so uh, it's, this, it's this big dividing section within uh, the watershed of America. And uh, I tell you that because when you come to Exodus cha chapter 18, we are at a dividing line. Exodus 18 itself is, is the division between chapters 1 through 17 and 19 through the rest of the book in this way. Uh, it looks back to verses chapters 1 through 17, and it's all about salvation and what God did, and it looks forward to what God will do, and it looks forward to our response. So you can see salvation and sanctification, redemption, response. It looks forward to, looks back to this is how God cared for us in the past, and, and looks forward to this is how God will care for us in the future. In fact, Exodus 18 itself is divided into past and future. That is verses 1 through 12 about the past, verses 13 to 27 about the future, okay? So I want you to see that, and I, it's important because now we get into verses of chapters 19 and following uh, in, in a few weeks, and we're going we're gonna to start to see how we've shifted gears. But I want you to see at this pivot point that now there is this, there is this dividing line, okay? So we're going to look at kind of the western slope, the eastern slope, if you will. We're going to look at what that division is. And what I want you to see first in, chapter, in verses 1 through 12 is if we're looking at the western slope, we might say it this way, this is, this is the celebrate, they're, they're celebrating deliverance. Okay, now it's a pretty straightforward chapter. Um, uh, uh, Jethro, who in case you aren't aware, is Moses' father-in-law. That's a joke because they said it about 20 times. So Jethro, his father-in-law, heard the news. News has now spread to the known world of what God has done in Egypt. These incredible, miraculous signs and wonders that God has done. So before the age of the internet and, and newspapers and anything like that, people are just traveling around. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? Well, Jethro hears. He comes. Verse 2, we find out that Zipporah at some point had gone back. Maybe there was danger in Egypt. And so God uh, or uh, Moses says, hey, sweetie you got to take the kids and you got to go back. Okay, you got to go back because things are going to get a little dicey here. Okay, then we get to verses three and four and we find out there's somebody new here. 
What we've got is we knew about Gershom, his first child. We heard about him in chapter 2, chapter 4. Now we are introduced to Eleazar. And what's important about those is that it's telling us kind of past and future. That is, they tell us a story of Moses' life in their names, right? You see that the, the, the writer Moses wants to make sure we know what their names mean. He's not just going to say, here's their name. He looks back and goes, okay, I was alienated. I named him Gershom because I felt alienated when I left Egypt and I found myself in a strange land called Midian. But then he says, but then I had Eleazar and he says, God is my helper, Eleazar. That is my God is my helper. And, and, and so God helped me. This is the story of Moses, right? He's giving us his story in the names of his children. I was alienated, but God helped me. It's the story of Israel. We were alienated, but God helped us. It's the story of a Christian, right? That is that we were alienated by our sin. This is what sin does. It alienates us from one another. It alienates us from God, but God steps in and he helps us, okay? So that's what's happening. Then you get to verses five through eight, and especially verse eight is where I want you to look down at. And I want you to notice, we begin to see in this verse, the gospel according to Moses. You're gonna actually begin to see the elements of the gospel take place here. So skip down to verse eight, and look what it says. So, this, so Moses, he goes out, he kisses his father-in-law, they go in the tent, and they start talking. Okay, and in verse eight, it says, then Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for the sake, for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord delivered them. Okay, so you see delivered, delivered. He's gonna see it again in verse nine, but here's what's happening. Moses tells, he comes and says, um, I, 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 want, I, I wanna tell you, and that word told, by the way, is actually probably better translated proclaimed, declared, it's this word of proclamation, and he declares to him what? What God has done, how he had delivered. He goes back and says, you got to hear this, plague number one, and two, and three, and all the way through 10, and then this is what God did in the wilderness, and we were out of bread, and we were out of water, and God provided every step of the way. I am proclaiming the goodness of God. But notice, he proclaims about God's deliverance, and if you look at verses eight and nine, deliverance is a key word. It shows up a few times, right? And, and, and let me say this, uh, we can say more about the gospel, but we can't say less than it is, a, it is the news of rescue. It is the news of deliverance. Yes, there's more to it, but it is at least that. That as Christians, even here in the, in the Old Testament, they look back and go, this was me, right? I couldn't save myself. I was trapped. I was, we'd say, enslaved. I was in darkness. I, I couldn't get myself out from under this. So God comes in. He takes the initiative. It's no help from me. And I am delivered from the domain of darkness and I'm transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the gospel. God has delivered us is at the, the, the most basic fundamental definition of the gospel. Notice that first. But second of all, Moses, look what he does. He simply tells Jethro what God has done. I, I want to just retell this to you. This, no, no, let me say this. If this, is, if this is an Old Testament picture of salvation, this is an Old Testament picture of evangelism. 
This isn't, oh no, I'm going to go talk to Jethro and he's going to have a bunch of crazy questions that I've got to answer. See, if I said to you, why will you not, or what, what keeps you, or what makes you afraid of evangelism? Most of you would think, because I don't know all the answers. I don't have answers to hard questions. But like, that's not what's happening here. This is just Moses going, look, whatever you think, I'm going to tell you what God's done. I'm just going to describe to you the goodness of God. I'm going to let you in on what he's done for me and what he's done for us. And so the questions may come, but I think about like John chapter 9, you might remember where Jesus heals a blind man and the blind man like he's never seen before. He's like, oh my, his eyes are opened and, and he goes rejoicing. He goes to the temple and he presents himself and the Pharisees are like, whatever, there's no way this guy could have done this. He must be a sinner. I mean, they're just questioning him. And the guy's like, look, I don't know. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. Here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. That's my testimony. My testimony may not answer all of your peculiar questions, but it's what God's done for me. It's how God has delivered me. But then notice what else. Moses tells his father-in-law. Now, here's what I want to just point out here. Um, I'm sure there were times when Moses told strangers, but I, I want you to see here, if we're talking about evangelism and the gospel, that, that uh, you know, I, I think God does at times want us to be bold in, in sharing our faith with those who don't know him, you know, airplane, wherever else, uh, as we're, you know, talking to people. But, but God surrounds you with people who need to hear the gospel. You've got neighbors. They've gotten to know you a little bit. You've got family members. They know you're not crazy. And so when you talk, it's like, okay, I'm tracking. I may not believe, but, but like this is what God does. He, every person in here who's not a Christian or is a Christian has people in their life who are not, that know you. Here's Moses just going, I'm just going to tell my father-in-law, somebody who's ready to listen. Let me tell you what God, Jethro, you're not going to believe this. Sit down. This is an amazing story. Listen to what God has done. And just unpacks it for him. I've been rescued. We've been rescued. We've been delivered, right? I, 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 listen, if you think, if, if I want to put this in New Testament terms, in, in modern Christian terms, if I believe that essentially um, I was a good person and really when God, when Jesus came into my life, I had a great life. It just made it a little bit better then, then I, I'm, I'm probably not going to uh, be talking to a bunch of people about that. And certainly, if you hear it from me, you're not going to be that compelled. You might go, yeah, take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter to me. But if I'm saying, if I understand, you see what I'm saying? If we as Christians genuinely understand, we've been rescued. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We were bound for hell. We were without hope and without God in this present world. We, we didn't, we were despairing. We, 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 we felt like we couldn't get out from under the weight of our sin. We were trying to slake our thirst and satisfy ourselves in all kinds of ways. But God, and he changed me. And this is the testimony of so many people in this room. You look out and you look at yourself before Christ and you look at yourself now and go, I am a totally different person because of what Jesus has done. He's delivered me. That's a compelling testimony. 
when people see the difference that Jesus Christ has made. Now, go down to verses 9 and 10. I want to keep going because notice, now, now how does somebody respond? Okay, Moses, if you, if you will, here is preaching the gospel. Jethro is hearing the gospel. And how does he respond? Look at verse 9. Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel. Jethro in verse 10 says, Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh. He's blessing God. He's rejoicing, right? The, the, this is the response of somebody who's outside of Christ, who comes to know Jesus, who comes to know God and says, now I am rejoicing. I am filled with joy. The Bible calls it joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember, Jesus tells the parable of the man who he, he found a treasure in a field. And the wage, I mean, it's one of these tiny little parables. And he said, and the man in his joy runs out and sells everything he has so that he can buy the field. Not in his despair, not out of begrudging submission, none of that. Like, look, I am actually going after my own joy. I want to be happy. I want to know joy like I've never known it before. We are as human beings, joy chasers. Blaise Pascal has that famous quote, all men seek happiness, this is without exception. You know, even the man who hangs himself is doing what? I'm trying to escape, I'm trying to escape out of despair to pursue joy. We are these joy chasers. And so what do we do? Here's what you're gonna do today, here's what you're gonna do with your entire life. The trajectory of your life is going to be determined by what you think is gonna bring you the most joy. Is it money? Is it sex, a power, fame, influence, security? What is it? We're all chasing our happiness, our joy in some way. And, and here, the Bible's gonna say from beginning to end, what happens is the gospel comes in, you believe it, and it is a fountain of joy. It is, it is the place the woman at the well found that, that, that it, there, there is living water that flows. It's a well that never runs dry. It slakes our thirst forever. He rejoices. This is the response of somebody who has believed. Now, if you look at it in verse 11, he goes on to say, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now, what, what's happening here? Jer Jethro is confessing that God is the Lord. He's, he's, he's mightier than any. By the way, this is how we understand our Christianity. We confess that Jesus is Lord. We confess that there is no one in heaven or on earth that is higher than him, that he is the God. He, he's, he's God above all gods. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. We confess him in, 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 as, as the one and only. And there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So our allegiance, our loyalty, uh, his superiority in, in everything, we see that. Um, okay, so, so what's happening here? Let me ask you a question. Did Jethro come to faith by verse 11? Or is this simply a confirmation of faith that he already had? Just so you know, that's a debate. There's some that say, oh, well, Jethro... Uh, Jethro already knew God and um, uh, others say, no, 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 there, there's something special and significant happening here. I, I happen to be in the latter camp, but I think the former camp says that because the ones who say maybe he is already a believer because, I don't, if, you, if you don't know, Jethro and Midian comes from the line of Abraham. Okay, so uh, there is God in his background. 
right? There is an understanding of who God is. He, it's likely knows about God in his background, okay? But how many of us know, I hope we know this, being in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Having some great patriarch in your past doesn't make you a Christian. What is it? It's, it's confession and faith, and this is what's happening here. Jethro confesses God. He looks and says, man, he's above everything. And this is what we do. We look and say, Jesus, like the writer of Hebrews, is greater. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Melchizedek. Phil Riken says this. He says, talking about Jesus, Jesus is superior in mercy. He grants forgiveness to sinners. He's superior in love. He gave his own life for our sin. He's superior in grace. He offers eternal life as a free gift. He's superior in power because by his resurrection, he's triumphed over death. And he is superior in glory, reigning supreme over heaven and earth. No other God has ever attempted to demonstrate the amazing love and grace that God has shown in Jesus Christ. To have faith is to believe that he is the one and only Savior, the one and only God. God of all grace and glory. Do you believe this? That, that, that's what a Christian is. And somebody says, Jesus is superior above everything. And so what's his response? Look at verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And he comes to el- the elders and he eats it with the elders in the presence of God. What's his response? It's worship. It's sacrifice. This is how they did that, right? This is how they showed worship. They, they came before God with a sacrifice. We were told in the Bible that there's a sacrifice of praise that we bring, right? We come. Is it a sacrifice to show up on Sunday? Sometimes it's a sacrifice for you to sing when you're being asked to sing. Yes, it is. And it's exactly what we should be doing. We sacrifice. But notice, he worships God and he worships in community. He worships with the elders, these people that Moses gathers together. He's now part of them. And so, so look, uh, uh, there's much to cover here, but notice this is the developmental pathway of a Christian. How do you become a Christian? Somebody proclaims to you, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. They hear, they receive it. This is all here in chapter 12. They believe it, they rejoice in it, they worship, and then they fellowship. They actually get together and fellowship with God's people. This is what we're doing right now. So this is just... The embryonic form of the church being started here in Exodus chapter 12, it's gonna move us into the New Testament, okay? All right, so that's sort of the Western slope. That's celebrating, that's their looking back. Now they're gonna look forward. God cared for us in the past. How's he going to care for us in the future? And this is what I want you to see, and this is about delegating leadership. Uh, so you get to verse 13. Notice this. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. Now I want you to just, I want, you, you got to see this because this is a pattern in Scripture and it's a pattern in Exodus. Moses is an evangelist before he's a judge. The good news comes before the law, right? Grace precedes law always. If you get that backwards, if you believe you must obey the law to receive God's grace, you've lost the gospel. If you believe that, you're not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who understands it is God's grace that enables me to keep the law. And because I've been rescued, now I walk because I respond in obedience to him. So as night follows day, right, as one day follows the next, right? They, you look at that, the next day, then, then so, so law, if you will, and obedience follows salvation. And so he goes and... and um, 
and, and, and this is a pretty straightforward section, right? This is where he notices Moses is, is there's people lined up all day long from morning to night. He's got to come to Moses. Moses has to, has to you know, take care of every single need. And Jethro's like, bro, you've got to not do this. You cannot be doing this. In fact, he says very plainly, what you're doing is not good. And then he says, okay, look, I'm going to give you a scheme. I'm going to give you a plan. I'm going to try to, try to help you systematize this, right? Take people that are of, you know, rulers over a hundred and ten, uh, thousands and hundreds and tens and, 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 and start, you know, creating, if you will, a court system, right? This is what we do in America, if you look at the federal courts, we have a district court, we have an appeals court, we have a Supreme Court. Why? Because the Supreme Court only hears those things that are the biggest cases, you might say, or the ones that make their way and have some sort of constitutional problem. This is exactly what's happening here in Exodus chapter 18. Jethro is helping Moses create this structure for the care of God's people. How is God going to care for us? He's going to care for us through leaders. So, so watch this, okay? What does this teach us? What's it teach us about leadership? And I, I, got, I got to move quickly here, but just, just follow me here. First of all, I want you to see, it teaches us God cares about the health of leaders. I mean, just, just flat out their, we might say, emotional, psychological health. Moses, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people out. You're killing yourself. See, lots of leaders, not just church leaders, kind of think, if I don't do it, nobody will. And so we tend to burn ourselves out. We, we tend to overdo it, right? We tend to, you know, I, I've got, listen, I, um, uh, it's interesting to me, by the way, this comes on the heels of, we just, just what, a chapter and a half ago, we were at a place where we're learning about Sabbath rest. Leaders tend to think like this, everybody else can rest except me, so I won't rest. And, and, and so, so here it is, it's, uh, listen, I, I have a, a, an acquaintance who would, I would say this, he, he knows the gospel. I say this, uh, I'm not being hyperbolic. He knows the gospel better than almost anyone I know. And he routinely works 80 to 90 hours a week. Now, he's a pastor. Now that's somebody who believes the gospel for others but not for himself. Do you see the, the irony? I have to work, 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 work. No, no. He, God cares about leaders. Several years ago, um, I had kind of gotten to a place where I'd you know, been at Foothill Church now for I think five, six years or so, and I was just, I was, I was spent. I, was, I didn't even know how spent I was. And I went away and I was at a I was in this cohort of other pastors and there was kind of these mentor guys and I'll never forget this. So I'm sitting there and I'm describing, he's asking all of us to sort of like, what's your work look like? What's your week look like? And sort of show me the hour, all this stuff. So we're kind of penciling it up on the board and we get done and he looks over and he looks at me and he's like, hey, we need to talk. And he's like, I'm like, why? And he says, like, like this is not healthy. Okay, I start talking through this. And then he says something to me, he goes, Chris, do you realize you're as busy as you want to be. Like, you don't have to be killing yourself. See, some of us feel like that, don't we? 
Like, it isn't just a church thing. It's a work thing many times. Let, let me show you something. I wanna, this is just very practical. This is for free. Um, take out a pencil and a, and a piece of paper and write this diagram down. It's just, here's what it is. It's just a cup, okay? It's being filled, it's being emptied. That's the, that's the analogy here. Here's what I want you to see. When that cup is all the way to the top, that means you feel full. You just feel like, man, I'm good. Like, I, I'm, I, I feel energized. I feel like my, you know, I, I, can, I can conquer the world, if you will, right? I just am in a really good place. My cup is overflowing, if you will. When I get down to line number one, I feel tired. And this is most of us, right? Most of us are not up there where it's brimming. We're kind of just down at sort of a tired, fatigued level. But if I go down to number two, the second line, just if you're labeling things, label that one burnout. This is where, man, I am, I, I am spent. I can't see straight. But if you get down to line number three, that's moral failure. That's where you're looking for an eject button to just get out. And so what are these lines on either side? Okay, the lines up the top, all right, this is an exercise, by the way, I would just encourage you to do, right? Just, just take some time this summer and actually do this. I've done this with some of you in this room. Like the lines on the left are simply you deciding and thinking and praying and maybe asking your wife or somebody who knows you well, what are the things that fill me, that fill the cup, that really make me feel energized, right? So I might put things like um, reading. Uh, I might put spending time with my family. I might, I might put things like... Um, uh, exercise to some extent, right? I mean, things like that, right? We, we, we might and say those things, I just really feel energized when I do those things. That fills my cup, but there's always things that drain your cup. What are those? Like, like, hey, if we're being honest, some of you might go like at the stage they're at right now, my kids just drain me. My kids are all grown up, they still drain me. Just kidding. <laughs> I love you guys. And Tucker, wherever you are, and, Gra and Gabby. In Berkeley, if you're listening somewhere else. Anyways, uh, the things that drain you. So now, okay, here's what you do. You look and go, how can I do more of the left side and less of the right side? Look, if, if, if children go on uh, more of the left side, more on the left side, less on the right side. If children are on the right side draining you, you can't get rid of them. But what you do is it's not that you can ever stop all the drain happening. What you can do is turn on the faucet and get more filled up, right? Okay, so, so look, I, just, I present this to you as just an idea for you to go, hey, there's ways that we can try to solve some of the fatigue and worn outness that we feel. God cares about you. He, he, he cares, right, about your energy and he cares about your abilities and he cares about those things and we ought to think about that. God cares about leaders. Second thing I want you to see is God cares about leadership. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at verses 21 to 22, he says, okay, Moses, stop doing this and go out and pick these kinds of men. Go out and find these kinds of leaders. So one of the principles is that if you're a good leader, you're going to know how to find good leaders. And the Bible is going to tell you some things to look for. So let me just give you four things that I think we can see within this passage. Number one, spiritual leaders have to be competent. He says, Jethro says to Moses, go out and find leaders who are able men. Okay, that is they have a level of competency in, that are, is needed to do the job. So let me say it this way. In Christian circles, we would say something like this. Look, I'm so happy that you love Jesus, but you have a job to do. 
I need you to actually fulfill this job, right? So there's got to be some competency that goes along with that, right? That's the first thing. He must be able, he must be competent. Second of all, spiritual leaders must be, and let's say this for if you're in a Christian organization at all, they've got to be Christian, right? So it's not good enough that you're competent. You also uh, have to believe. You have to fear God. You see that in the text? That's the Old Testament way of talking about what we in Christianity in the New Testament would call about faith. That is that God is on the throne, we obey him, we fear God more than we fear people. Because one of the things you're going to have to do if you are a leader, and certainly if you are a Christian leader, is you're going to have to say things that people don't agree with. And so who do you fear more? Like, you've got to be able to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and I know I'm going to get hammered for this. But I'll say it. Because we have to fear God. We have to be loyal to Him. Third of all, he says they've got to be trustworthy. See, see, see that? This is, hey, does He do what He say? Does He keep His commitments? Is he characterized by integrity? And by the way, this is why he says he hates bribes. He's saying he's not going to be bought off. He's not for sale. Like money isn't the thing that ultimately motivates him. He's not going to pervert justice for the sake of money. A pastor is not going to stand up and preach to you and go, well, I won't say that even though it's true and found in the Bible because I'm afraid of what it'll do to the offering. It's saying here's the truth and we need to say it, Right? And then, and then finally, uh, spiritual leadership has to be shared. Notice he says, Moses, this isn't good. So, so right here in Exodus 18, let me suggest to you, just like I said, sort of embryonic gospel, embryonic church, here's an embryonic eldership. That is that this is, this is like, it's too much for one man, and Moses, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be sharing it, right? So, so this leads us into New Testament elders, and, 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 and there, there, there's just never an example in all of the New Testament of a church being governed by one senior leader, ever. I come out of a background where, man, the lead pastor was prophet, priest, and king. He was the only elder. This is why we decided we're not going to do that here at Foothill. We're going to have a plurality of elders, right? That is, there's going to be lots of voices at the table. There's going to be, we have seven men that serve on our elder team. We have staff, all this. There's, there's accountability within that. If you go to a church where there's a guy who says, I make all the decisions, it's all about me, I'm at the center, you should leave fast because, because spiritual leadership should be shared. It should be shared. So God cares about the health of leaders. God cares about leadership. But, but, but there's another thing I want you to see of what it teaches about leadership, and that's that leaders should be humble and teachable. And, and look, I'll be brief here. It, it, Moses listens to wisdom from, we might say, a brand new believer. Maybe even more striking, he listens to it from his father-in-law. He listens and goes, look, wherever I find truth, I'm going to grab hold of it. Um, because sometimes that's where it comes from. It doesn't necessarily come just from other church folk. Sometimes we look and go, hey, if that's true, I'm going to embrace it. And so he's, he's teachable. He's humble and goes, okay, and he implements what Jethro tells him. Now, let me just say this briefly. If, 
If there is a call on leaders to be this kind of leader and to lead well, and you're gonna see this even in the New Testament, you're gonna see it, Paul's gonna say this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, uh, 1 Peter 4, 5, sorry, that there's a calling on leaders. If that's true, then there must be a, a what do we say, a, a balance of there's also a calling on followers, right? That, that is that, so, so let me put it in our terms. Look, if we're following God as leaders, if we're preaching the word, we're not compromising that, if we're walking in integrity, we've done our job. And your job is to do what scripture says. What does scripture say? You ready for it? Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their works will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. There's so much I could say about this verse. But let's just throw it right out there and say, a bunch of us bristle at words like obedience and submission. But God says that's your calling. Look, if if you, if you see me asking you or elders or our leadership asking you to do something, it's outside the, the, the bounds of God's word, for sure, ignore us. But if we're preaching to you the word of God, if we're asking you to be obedient to the word of God, walking in integrity, not living duplicitous lives, out in front of you for you to see, then your job is to say, man, I want to be obedient. I want to submit to that. This is God's way of caring. Do you understand this? This is why we have covenant partnership. What is covenant partnership? It's you saying, I am going to place myself willingly in an accountability structure within a local church because I understand, according to Hebrews 13 and elsewhere, this is how God cares for my soul. The most important part about you. And some of you men, you don't like that. I remember... Years ago, somebody said to Pastor Stephen, with no irony in his voice, my gift to the church is to hop from church to church. It's to be in lots of different churches. And Pastor Stephen was basically, you're an idiot. That's not biblical. That's not right. Church hopping isn't a gift. God calls us to be in an accountability relationship with a local church where, man, there is a big calling on us. We better be obedient. We better be preaching to you the word of God. We better be walking in integrity. But the response to that is on the other side. I have to say this to you. Look, I didn't make up Hebrews 13. Your job is to obey and submit. That's what's happening in Exodus 18. Now, that's what it says about leadership and here again, let me, let me just end with this. What does it teach us about Jesus? Well, I think the biggest thing, we could go back to Phil Riken and his Jesus is superior. That is Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is gonna say, he's greater than Moses. Jesus doesn't grow tired. He's never gonna wear out with your requests in mind. Do you understand this? The billions of things that rise up to Jesus every day and he's not worn out by any of them and he can take all of them and he hears all of them and he loves all of them and he cares for you. That's why he says, cast all your anxieties, not just the big cases, every single one of them on me because I care for you. 
and I can take it. And I'm not Moses and I'm not limited. I never sleep and I never slumber. I'm the king of all kings. I'm the God of all gods. I'm omnipotent. I'm omniscient. I'm, I'm everything. And you can come to me and I will hear you. And I'm not the unrighteous judge. You've got to beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. And finally he's worn out and says, fine, just do it. Says, no, God's not like that. He's a God who loves to hear his children when they cry out to him. And he'll never be turned away. And yet we live in a broken world. And we live in a place where God is doing all kinds of things. And sometimes what our demands for justice aren't answered. But here's the promise. They will. They will be. Because someday the righteous judge is going to return. And he's going to set everything right. Everything. Every tear wiped away. No more crying. No more pain. No more dying. No more injustice at all. All the racial reconciliation we hope for, all the things we could say will be set right because King Jesus will reign. That's what we have to look forward to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you uh, for your word and just the opportunity to hear from you and just hear the echoes of the gospel all the way through. And Lord, I just pray. I pray, I pray for us that, uh, Lord, there are, there are people in here that are worn out. God, if we take that cup and look at it, some of us are down at level two and approaching level three. And some have already burn past that. And so I just want to pray, oh God, I want to pray that you would care for their souls and that they would rest and they would look to you. I pray, God, that we would be a place filled with leaders who, who are competent and Christian. Um, God, God, men and women who, who love you and want to serve you in the capacity of leadership that you've given to them. Jesus, most of all, we thank you. We thank you that someday you, as the righteous judge, are going to set everything right. Now I pray, oh God, I pray, I pray for those in this room who don't know you, and I, I, I pray today would be a day of awakening faith where they would recognize they are stuck, they are slaves, they are in darkness. However they would describe that right now, your word describes it in so many different ways. They would look to you. They put their faith, their hope in you. They'd turn away from that sin and believe in God. They would know what the Bible says when it's talking about joy unspeakable and full of glory, that the gospel and the belief in that and faith in Jesus and walking with God is a never-ending fountain that we drink from for all of eternity. And so Lord, do that, I pray this morning. Save people from sin to faith in God. And we ask this in Jesus' name.